Hello and welcome to Books and Stuff I Like, where of course I discuss books and stuff I like. Um, coming to you from the middle of a pandemic again. Uh, today we have a few books, no real rhyme or reason. Um, but I think we're we're at the point in whatever this is now where books that I bring up will tie to other things that I I talk I I have talked about um and the one uh was brought to mind um after discussing the travesty of the road last week so we'll jump right back into this So, of course, I haven't gone out to eat. I mean, I could, I can check, um, because a few of the places that I went to also do carry out, and they're probably still doing that now. And on, on one hand, I feel really bad because I, I haven't been out to, um, get any food from anybody. Um, and I feel bad because if they're still open, I mean, they, they've got to just be hanging on by their teeth. But on the other hand, I mean, I don't, I don't need to go out and get food, and that's kind of what they're saying. Stay in unless you, you need to. Also, I am like right now, things are fine, but um, I don't know if money is going to be a thing in a week or a month or a year. Uh, so uh, strange times. But one thing I am not stopping doing is buying my books it even hit me yesterday maybe i should start going to a library and i i kicked that idea out of my head right away i like buying books i like buying used books i like finding them i like everything there is about owning a book different editions different publishers paper stock i love it um my my general strategy with it is I use my cash back from my credit card to purchase books, and it usually works out pretty well. Um, I've got a pretty good system going there. So I, I have, because I have, I could not buy another book for a year or so and still have things to read. I, I, I have that bad habit that many of us probably have. Um, and it's a it's a nice thing. It can get overwhelming at times, and sometimes I can feel bad. But my to-read shelf is pretty full. Um, I buy books faster than I can read them, so I, I've been trying to kind of put the brakes on that because instead of buying the book, just make a note that, hey, I would like to read and own this book at some point in time. So I've been kind of putting the brakes on that, but I have plenty to read in the in the foreseeable future. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. I am here to talk to you about a band I discovered called Camp. Um, I've heard them on a couple different radio stations. I don't know how dispersed they are, how well known. Um, they're a folksier type band, kind of. They have two songs that I've heard on the radio. One I've heard um, quite a bit called Peach Fuzz, and that's kind of has a more poppier feel. It it sounds, and somebody brought this up, sounds like Rod Stewart. The the singer has a real, real kind of throaty, raspy voice, but not, 
but not a, a Bruce Springsteen style uh, because it's still it's it's upbeat it for that song. Um, but then a lot of their other songs, I, I really like by and by, and there's this like, Hey Joe song, not the Jimi Hendrix, but, but something else. Um, just kind of a really soulful, raspy, folksy voice. Um, what drives me nuts. And, and I, I hate this about life now. I mean, even, even in the middle of a pandemic, I'm going to find other things to hate about life. Um, I I looked I looked up this band. It's Camp, all caps and with two A's for some reason. So C A A M P. I I don't know what that's all about. Um, they're out of Ohio and they're like all twenty five or something stupid. And their one song about by and by is like a reflection on aging. You're you're twenty five years old. Get over it. Go go rent a car for the first time in your life. Do not write or sing a song about aging. Um, yeah, growing up is weird and stupid and, um, I am, I am older than 25 and I don't want to hear a 25 year old reflecting on aging. Um, but if you just listen to the song, you don't, you don't know that he's 25 and he, for some reason, I, the voice shouldn't be on a 25 year old. I don't know. And like Nathaniel Rateliff shouldn't be a white guy. I, it's, it's all kinds of funny stuff with that. But, um, camp is a decent, good band. I've been listening to, um, the two songs that are playing on the radio. I don't know if it's their best, um, are peach fuzz and by and by. But if you just tell, Tell that lady that lives in your house in the machine to shuffle songs by camp. Um, I think it's a, a worth a listen if you're into that folksier type of thing. Okay, on to the books now. First, I want to discuss a wonderful book, White Noise by Don DeLillo. I do not know how to pronounce this gentleman's last name, DeLillo. I have only heard it said out loud once, strangely enough, on an episode of Parks and Recreation. Um, This is a postmodern book published in 1985, which if you read it, which you should, you're going to be dumbfounded that this was written in 85. It is largely a reflection of contemporary culture, but even in 85, it was so far ahead of its time. Um, now I have a penguin edition. I'm, I'm neutral on penguin editions. They, they, their intentions are good. The, um, the cover art, the, the actual look and feel of this book is phenomenal. Um, it has embossed, I think is the right word, uh, lettering on the cover. Some of the illustrations are just fantastic. This is a great book. It's, so we've, we've talked about Babbitt. And Babbitt, where we cover the the a period in time of one man's life floundering in middle age, I'm sure there's probably a name for that. Um, like I said, I was an awful English major, so I don't remember a name for that ever being discussed. But it's like a a building German, but for just a certain period of time. If if there's a name for that, please let me know. Um, but it's a it's a contemporary Babbitt, except 
the protagonist you you feel for him a little bit you don't you don't pity or despise or look on him with contempt um but white noise follows a middle-aged man who has an extended nuclear family um with his middle-aged wife um some kids are hers some are his some are theirs and they live in anywhere usa uh, they they might have a specific town in the book i don't know he is a professor at a college and he is a an adolf hitler expert not a world war ii expert he doesn't teach world war ii classes he teaches adolf hitler what a what a what a weird fun postmodern contemporary thing to be like like we can think of things that are like that um this book follows a lot of reflections on advertising and food and just the mood of what is all this technology doing in 1985. It, you could read this and think that it was written this year. And what, 85 is 30, 30, 35 years ago. Oh, golly. Um it's so in the world of postmodernism we've got vonnegut kind of on one end and he's cute and clever and we all love vonnegut and then we've talked about you know your william gasses and your john bars on the other end who were sitting in a stuffy academic classroom saying i wonder what i what i can make postmodernism do let's push this to the limits and by doing that they really narrow down the, their audience um white noise is kind of in the middle of that I read it for school, I think in a in a post-World War II American literature class. Um, and I, I really, I haven't heard much of it outside of school, which is a shame because th- this book is, it's it's in the middle of Vonnegut and John Barth. The, the popular everyday reader is going to be fine with this book, but there's a, there's a depth and a complexity to it to where it can fit into an academic conversation. And not a lot of entertainment can, can do that. So that that's brilliant. Um, I think this book's biggest claim to popular culture is the band Airborne Toxic Event. They got their name from this book. A section of this book covers an airborne toxic event, which is kind of... Um, there's a there's a section of this book where there is a disaster and airborne toxic event and how they how they handle this disaster is um, that's not what brought this book to mind but in these current times that might be of interest to people as well so white noise Don DeLillo, um it's a great little postmodern reflection on our current times. I, I feel like it doesn't get as much rec- um, recognition as it should. Um, so give it a read. It's a nice little entertaining book. So now I'm going to have to tread as lightly as I have ever tread on here before. Because I really want to discuss Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita, which is an extremely disturbing book. Um, But why I want to discuss it is there's no denying that it's disturbing, and there's a lot of 
people, I think, who disregard reading this book because it's disturbing. But I fear that they're putting off reading this book because it's disturbing in the wrong way. There's no doubt that this is a disturbing book, but it's it's disturbing in a different way than I think most people think it is. And the way it is disturbing is more interesting than, than what people might think. So I would like to kind of clear the air on Lolita. Um, you can't blame anybody for not reading a book like this um, because of the disturbing themes. Everyone has their own situation in life, but um, but if, if you are a person who has put off this book because it's disturbing, at least know, know the, the right disturbance of it. I had a, uh, a classmate in a class once we were assigned to read the Gospel of Matthew, and um, he didn't read it, and he said it was because he didn't believe in whatever. Um, and no, that he didn't read it because he didn't feel like he had an excuse to not spend the half hour reading it. Um, there was no talk of religion or belief or anything. We were reading a text of writing. And I feel like some people might be choosing not to read Lolita because they say it's disturbing when in fact it's not disturbing how they think it is. So I want to make sure we're all on the same page with Lolita. So here's the book. There's a man who is a pedophile. No doubt about it. He's he would freely admit that he that that is that is what he is. He falls in love with a prepubescent girl, Lolita is a name he gives her. Um and his whole plan is to marry the girl's mother, kill the girl's mother. So then he would have custody of the girl. Now, that's that's the book. That there's no there's no different way to summarize the book. That is that is what happens. Um, now, the the mother actually dies in a freak accident that has nothing to do with the main character. So instead of having to kill her, he in 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 his way, lucks out and has custody of this girl, and they. They travel the country in in 1950s United States of America to kind of live their life um, without being caught or discovered. They never stay in one place too long um, because she might say something disturbing. No doubt about it that that's disturbing. But that is not why this book is disturbing. Somebody could write that storyline in a very horrific, disturbing way, because it's a disturbing storyline. But this book is written in the point of view of that man. And for the main character, Humbert Humbert, his motives in his own mind aren't problematic. And this book, there's not, there's no lewd language, there's not a bad word, um, any description of a lewd act is written so flowery and poetically, you, you miss it. 
it, it's like reading old, old, old poetry where there's symbolism and every, you, you miss it because it's written in the point of view of this man who, in, in his own twisted mind, it's a love story, not, not a story of, of abuse or anything like that. And as the reader, it's written so well in that respect, you can forget what the story actually is. That's why it's disturbing. That makes this book even more disturbing in, in a lot of respects than if it was just an in in account of a story of abuse. It's so deep and twisted like that to where it's not something that's going to horrify you with its gruesome, detailed stories. It's going to horrify you because you've got the most extreme example of an unreliable narrator. That's why we're still reading this book in college classrooms. That's one of two reasons why this book is still considered an American classic, not because it's a story of abuse. It's because it has so many layers of the disturbance. The other reason this book is still, still pertinent, still, still regarded as a, as a great work of American literature, the actual author Nabokov, he wasn't American. English was not his first language. This is a book. It's an American road story like the road. That's what made me think of this book. Um, it's a, it's a description of 1950s America. Remember, they're traveling around the country. Written by a, a non-American and not someone who had English as their first language. The prose in this book is unmatched. The actual writing, the actual words on a page are so beautiful, so well written. This book, it's phenomenal. Nabokov is a phenomenal writer, and he had written other books, and he had a heck of a time getting this book published for all the reasons that are obvious. The writing in this book, I, I wrote in, in college a five-page paper. He has one simile, um, and the main character is is watching Lolita eat an apple. My heart was like snow under thin crimson skin. Let that line... Oh, that's such a perfect line. My heart was like snow under thin crimson skin. Let that, let that stick in your soul for a few days and mull it over. That's such a wonderful line. Now, the, what, what's, what's actually going on in the story is horrific and everything. So that adds another layer. So we have... We have this horrific story. There's level number one, but narrated by Humbert Humbert, who who presents it in his own light, which is layer number two, and that that disturbs us because we don't we don't want to believe him, but he's he's darn persuasive. And then we have level number three of Nabokov actually creating this work, and his writing is just unmatched. That's why we're still reading this book. And that's why one reason that we can't let this book go away out of the, out of the canon. So it's never not going to be a disturbing book. I think it's only going to get more disturbing. But 
it's not disturbing in the way that it could be disturbing. So still, if, if this is something that a person simply cannot do, that's, that's fine. That, but I think we have to all know the reasons why we cannot do this. Um, so yeah, Lolita, it's, it's a twisted, deep, dark, layered book and good entertainment should challenge us. It's a challenging book, not in the sense that it's so dense that we can't get past it. And, um, not in the sense that it's, it changes what we think narrative should be. Um, it's just challenging because there's a lot to, there's a lot of layers to the story that the reader needs to wade through. There's not a whole lot of books like that. Um, there are some, and, and maybe we can bring some up here. But um, I I will always defend Lolita as a necessary work of American literature. Went a little long with the Lolita discussion. Um, what I'm reading now isn't anything that I, I can't discuss at a later date. So we'll kind of... Um, taper this off now as always questions comments anything of the sort basil podcast on twitter gmail reddit reach out um just just logically speaking i can only do this for so long without new books to read new books to discuss so if anyone has any ideas please let me know enjoy yourselves and stay safe <laughs>